0: the finley toyota studio it's coalfield and company
1: now it is drake who goes in motion here's jacobs hole on the right side cut to the 10 5 jack pop baby vegas touchdown yeah car back into the gun the backfield is empty takes a snap fires on a cross spin jack baby Vegas touchdown, Card to Darren Waller. He's got Renfro, is to his left. And here Jones. Jones. and here they come. come. Blitz is picked up, Jones is open. cut, baby, Vegas touchdown. This time, no doubt, put it in the W column baby. This one's over, and ah, baby.
0: It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Five o'clock hours here. Cofield, Ari, Finley Tota Studios. Adam Candy's with us as well. We got more on the recap of the big night for the Raiders, which has been a bit dampened today because of some injuries. So we'll get you updated on the injury situation. But Raiders, Out to a 1-0 start. Massive crowd last night. Loud crowd, excited crowd. The festivities in and around the game were awesome. They beat an AFC power in the Ravens. They did it in dramatic fashion, so nice job. By the Raiders, getting
0: off to the 1-0 start. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents The Big Five at Five, number five.
1: So, Candy, you and I are both from the uh, New Jersey and New York area. I'm going to lead into our... uh, our talk of athletes to like and dislike by starting with this. I just noticed that they started to debut this uh, documentary. It's another documentary on the 86 New York Mets. Once upon a time in Queens. What are your recollections? You're a little bit younger than me, not much, but uh, what are your recollections of 86 when you were a sports fan and what those Mets were like?
2: Well, I have some very vivid memories of that actually, because, my father's entire side of the family were all Mets fans. Oh, no. And when I was growing up, hey, man, you follow the crowd sometimes. So I got excited about the Mets. Oh, wow. I got super excited about the 86 I hate Mets. You so I I can remember. Did you oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're a Yankee oh, yeah. fan. I was eight. So I was... Uh, you are a lot younger than me. I was out at Shea's. I can remember being at Shea, waiting for the players to leave. Uh, and I can remember I touched... Doc Gooden's car huh. touched the hood yeah. on his way out of the parking lot and declared I would never wash my hands
1: again. Have you since?
2: I'm I'm doing my research. Okay. Oh, is uh, that right? It's a, per, it's You're a another personal research choice. Person, okay? It's a personal choice. Okay. Um, I'm doing my research and you know, I, I respect everyone's decision
1: on whether to wash their hands. I hated that. I hated that Mets team. Because I had friends who were Mets fans, and it felt like the Mets took over that area as a you know dominant baseball force, and they were a great team. And when you look at the team, you had guys who were amazingly talented, but also very flawed, right? In Keith Hernandez, who had coke issues uh, before... He got to the Mets. Wally Backman, you know, we found out some anger issues over the years, right? Ray Knight was a freaking lunatic, uh, whether he was punching someone or getting punched in the face. Um, Lenny Dykstra, look at how he turned out, right? Uh, Doc and Daryl with their substance issues. Kevin Mitchell's killing animals later in his career. You know, uh, they, were, they were an interesting group, and I won't even get to the rest of the pitchers. But I could see why Mets fans winning is one thing, but you could connect – With those types of athletes, it was a a, a gritty, arrogant, you know, hateable team for the opposition, which brings us to, I know this is a long segue, brings us to one of my least favorite sports now because I feel like the American contingent of golfers gives us so many examples of not being relatable, so many examples of coming off as snotty, arrogant, anti-fan country club kids. And I I don't know, am I overdoing it here? On these latest comments, people love the Ryder Cup. Because, again, it kind of takes away a lot of that prim and proper nonsense. And, shh, everyone be quiet because you don't want to make any noise. The Americans make it all pissy, right? Ryder Cup, it's like, it's raucous as hell. It's raw. Uh, Brooks Koepka, like, appreciate the honesty, bruh. But what is he talking about here about the difficult setup and circumstances around the Ryder Cup? He was asked in an interview, Steve, is it strange
2: being on a team? Okay, I get it. If you understand the way golf works, they're not even members of the PGA Tour. Every one of these guys is an individual contractor who goes out there with their own team, their own trainer, their own agent, their own nutritionist, their own swing coach. Every one of them is their own person. So they ask him, when it comes to Ryder Cup time and you're having to compete for your country, is it strange being on a team? Brooks Kepka said, it's different, it's hectic, it's a bit odd if I'm honest. I don't want to say it's a bad week, we're just so individualized. and Everybody has their routine and a different way of doing things. And now it's like, okay, we have to have a meeting at this time or go do this or go do that. It's the opposite of what happens during a major week. And he continued, said it's tough. There are times where I'm like, I won my match, I did my job, what do you want from me? I know how to take responsibility for the shots I hit every week. Now, somebody else hit a bad shot and left me in a bad spot, and I know this hole's a loss. That's new. And you have to change the way you think about things. You go from an individual sport all the time to a team sport one week a year. It's so far from my normal routine. And Kyle Porter, the golf writer for uh, CBS Sports, posted this and said, Buddy, maybe this is why the US has lost seven of the last nine <laughs>
1: Ryder Cups. Oh, God! Whoa. We are the furthest from gritty and gutty with this group of American golfers in this generation. Who's the
2: one we like, right? If, if I say among the U.S. contingent right now, who among the popular golfers do I like? I maybe can come around to Brooks just because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and how much he can't stand to Shambo is only rivaled by how much I can't stand to Shambo. Uh, but Brooks Kepka. Oh has been having a reputation of being a jerk for a long time. Yep. So is it Patrick Reed who got snubbed from the team and then no. was out there liking tweets that were getting down on Steve <laughs> Stricker, the captain? <laughs> yep. Is it is it Jordan Spieth? No, I, I no. wanted it to be Jordan Spieth for a while, but I don't think it's Jordan Spieth. It ain't. Who is it? Who Who is the U.S. golfer that we get behind? You tell me. I don't know who it is right now. I really don't. I I want there to be. Look, it doesn't have to be Tiger. It really doesn't. It's better for the sport when Tiger is great, but it's going to be a while before we hear from Tiger again. So it was supposed to be Spieth. It hasn't been Spieth. Could it be some of the younger kids like a Scotty Scheffler? Sure. But ask five people on the street if they know who Scotty Scheffler is, and they're going to all say, when's NFR?
1: I'll go. Dustin Johnson, because he is flawed like Keith Hernandez, maybe. Um, and I, I do think, I haven't seen anything yet that would tell me that Colin Morikawa is a jackass. There you go. I wanted to be a guy like Colin Morikawa. He's a nice guy. I really do. Seems like I absolutely
2: nice wanted to be Colin Morikawa. But you talk about guys who've had issues. I mean, DJ is another one who's had his flaws. Never proven that it was a cocaine issue, but widely reported that he had a major cocaine issue. And so... You know uh, good for him making the comeback but yeah hopefully it's a guy like murakawa but again when we talk about rallying around these guys and making golf a sport people are interested in nobody knows the players who might become that generation of really good players
0: number four
1: boy deja vu nfl week number one felt like it was uh what i'm not exactly sure on the timeline about five years ago remember when there was a point Every commercial break was fantasy football this, fantasy football that, giveaway, free contest, million dollars here, $4 million there. Now that we're getting more and more states candy online with legalized sports game gambling and the NFL has exclusive deals with, what, a quartet of books. Oh, mama! the commercials on sports gambling we're here in vegas and i think you and i are both going pump the brakes a little bit and we're the center of the gambling world
2: enough (laughs) enough i and look cofield you know i work in this industry enough (laughs) i have seen too many of these ads if i never see jb smooth and Patton oswald again in my life i will be happy because i have had caesar and carl (laughs) shoved down my throat for a month now so there are reports out there front office sports says that a billion one billion dollars will be spent on sportsbook advertising during Uh. football season in fact there's a report from yahoo today that just this past weekend there was more than 20 million dollars in ad spend by sportsbooks and i know you feel me if you're listening to this I know you saw it for DraftKings, for FanDuel, for PointsBet, for Caesars, for Wynn, for all of these sports books out there. And thankfully, there is an adult in the room. Uh, David Rebuck is the director of the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. Of course, as Steve well knows, New Jersey, the biggest sports betting market outside of Vegas. He was talking on a webinar the other day and thankfully had some smart words for sports books. He said, don't allow your marketing staff to operate unchecked. They can get you in a lot of trouble because they have different objectives to you. Uh They are not thinking about compliance. We understand the business need. They want to attract people and be creative, but they cannot be unchecked. If they are, they'll be checked by us and it will happen in a way you won't be happy with.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I did did notice uh, going to multiple States and, Signing up for accounts there and then watching some of the advertising over the weekend. Uh, They're getting a little fast and loose with the actual information on promotions. We don't have to name names, uh, but I think they need to be careful on that one. Now, that all said, I mean, of course, we are voices of reason and very objective. Uh, Lovely, lovely mobile apps here in town with BetMGM, William Hill, and Westgate. Yes, so. checked. Shameless. Shameless. What a jerk. Uh, But, you know, when... uh, when you know those sites need to be checked here and there, you, you know you do call them out. I will say William Hill this weekend. I like it's uh, it's my favorite mobile app um, of all of them. Yeah, I love BetMGM and Westgate's very cool too. But uh, William Hill was down on Sunday football, so that was a bit disappointing. So we, we well, have to be I, able to, we also have to be able to do our jobs. I love you know pitching the good apps here around town, um, but when there are problems, you know you got to report
2: on it. Well, and I, and I will give them credit. Because um, you're right. That that outage got me uh, on Sunday morning. I I was screwed. You know, what, say, you know, you know what's You know. funny,
1: Candy. I might say it might have saved me actually. So yeah, it might have saved. But who I, knows? But I tell you, when us. I saw the spinning wheel <laughs> yeah. there, I was. Ugh! But I, by by Monday morning,
2: I had an email in my box from uh, from William Hill saying, we know there was an edge, we're sorry, we're gonna give you two $25 free bets uh, coming up. So at least they're trying to, to make it right. I appreciate that and uh, shameless plug here. If you want more coverage of things like this, you can go to LegalSportsReport.com. That's LegalSportsReport.com.
1: Number three. Plug, 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 plug. Top three on this Tuesday after a Raiders win Boy, oh boy, that would have been a point of mockage for a long time. And the point I'm talking about was the opportunity on a second down to go for a field goal. And lo and behold, they couldn't find, the Raiders could not find their kicker. Here's a very, I don't know, he was very, he was excited, but he sounded exasperated. Here's John Gruden talking about not being able to find Dan Carlson. It was warming up in the net. Uh, no one could find him. But uh, things worked out. Yes, they did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing you, you can laugh at uh, if it had cost him the freaking game. Oh, my God. But, you know, mistakes happen. Everything's not in the flow yet, Candy. It's only week one.
2: No, listen, you cannot expect a head coach only making $10 million a year <laughs> to be able to track where his kicker is. I I understand. Danny gets lost sometimes Dan- Danny wanders Danny Carlson just ends up uh you know I'm mean, he's out at the snack stands he's going for treatment he's getting massage like you can't find him and today John Gruden was asked hey is it a luxury to have a kicker like Daniel Carlson who's come in some big moments and uh, Gruden said yeah I just need to make sure I call him a little quicker <laughs> like all right okay I appreciate you taking a little bit of the uh A little bit of the responsibility there because had the Raiders not won that game, we probably would have spent the first hour and a half flaming Gruden.
1: Number two. Win's a win, right? Win's a win. Well, you got to break down the game. There were immense positives. We'll get to more of them here in the next couple minutes for the Raiders. Uh, Today has not been a great day, and we saw the beginning of it last night. Uh, One of the weaker points on the team was the play of the offensive line. Now, this was off the offensive line that got... Uh, majorly overhauled during the offseason, and we can get to Alex Leatherwood here in a second, but now we find out that the guy next to him, Denzel Good, who is a great utility lineman, now plugged in as a starter, well, he went down last night, came back in for a little bit. uh, Well, he's got a torn ACL candy, so already the changes and the depth are going to be tested.
2: Well, and that's not to say things look great in the first place, because I'll start with the positive because we don't often do that Uh, Colton Miller who of course got his early extension from Mike Mayock and John Gruden in the offseason Colton Miller graded out as one of the best players on the Raider roster yesterday he had 59 pass rush opportunities and gave up only two hurries that's it no hits no sacks Colton Miller was a man on the left side but We gave the Raiders plenty of crap for the pick of Alex Leatherwood. A reach in the first round, and he did not do a lot to dispel that yesterday. Alex Leatherwood was absolutely brutal. Um, Gave up a pair of sacks, gave up five pressures, took a couple of penalties, including the key penalty down on the goal line that almost lost the game for the Raiders in overtime. And Andre James, we heard so much about how they're excited about Andre James. He's ready to take over for Pro Bowler Rodney Hudson Andre James had the worst offensive grade from pro football focus on the entire Raiders roster yesterday, a 35 grade uh, for Andre James. Uh, We saw him have problems on that one shotgun snap to Derek Carr. We saw him get beat cleanly by Calais Campbell on the fourth down play to stop the Raiders rushing attack. Uh, They have some things that absolutely have to get cleaned up. Another little bright spot though, and Gruden called this out in his presser today, Jermaine Illuminar had to come in in relief, played 69 total plays, only gave up one pressure in 47 passes for the Raiders. So, you know, you hope that that depth being tested will maybe give some opportunities to guys to show what they can do.
1: Number one. Boy, I said the Raiders would go 10 and 7 back when the schedule came down. Now we've got new aggro passing Gruden. 13-4, and four, baby. Let's play some highlights here. Henry Ruggs getting involved. Here's Carr backing it up. Wide open, complete. And yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, number 11 shows up. He grabs for it for a first down. Brent is very worked up. I was listening to a decent portion of the game last night. He is very worked up about the Henry Ruggs angle. Gruden's all mad at pro football focus. I think Brent's more harsh on Ruggs than PFF. Here's another Ruggs catch. Car Backing up for the gun. Waiting, waiting. Got deep man. Got Ruggs open on the right. Yes! Yes! Ruggs to the 10-yard line. Yes! Big play from Ruggs that time on third down and 10. And if I'm correct, right before that, I think this was that moment. Uh, right before that, Brent actually said, you know, it's time to see Rugs be more than a decoy. I was like, whoa, okay. right? Because last year we heard, hey, this guy did a lot to rip off the top of the defense and help guys underneath and open things up for the other receivers. Uh, that was cool. Uh, we're talking near 60 pass attempts. John Gruden and Derek Carr, as <laughs> they roll out an offense like we've never seen before. And then, of course, we should play you. One of the great highlights of the game. Darren Waller targeted 18 times. Let's do it. Carr back into the gun. The backfield is empty. Takes a snap. Fires on a cross. Spin. Jackpot, baby. Vegas touchdown. Carr to Darren Waller. Wow. It is going to be fascinating to see what this offense looks like week to week. Now, I kid, because I care, uh, about the story. Uh, I don't know that the Raiders are going 13-4 and if they're passing 59 times a game. I still think they can be a winning team. I did like the aggression, but we just addressed an elephant in the room. Candy, this is going to be real interesting. Aggro passing Gruden with a line that's going to be more developmental than we originally thought. It is gonna be developmental. There's no question about
2: that. I think they knew there was a little bit of that coming, and now they are heavily counting on Richie Incognito to be able to get back soon and anchor down that line. But I loved what I saw out of Gruden's play calling in terms of the passing. I loved it. They had 59 pass calls last night. 56 attempts for Derek Carr. Three times he ran it that was not a designed run. I mean. You can't ask for more than that in today's NFL. Now, I said before the game yesterday that I thought maybe the lingering injury status of Josh Jacobs was going to save Gruden from himself a bit, and he couldn't pound Jacobs for two reasons. One, it was clear from the first time Josh Jacobs carried the ball that his toe is not right. He was limping multiple times on the sidelines. He only carried it 10 times in the game overall, six carries for Kenyon Drake. But more importantly than that, Cofield, Strange little thing about the way this game played out. The Raiders were down the whole time. The Raiders were playing from behind the entire game. They were down 14-0 to start. Gruden loves to go into that running shell once they have the lead. That's when he gets conservative. That's when he wants to pound the ball. Well, they didn't have that opportunity in this game. They had to keep throwing it. But I have to think that the way Derek Carr responded to to even his early struggles by coming through and I I have to say Miles Simmons I thought was a little too low on Derek Carr earlier on I I don't think he gave Derek Carr proper credit for what he did in that game yesterday for what he did last year overall we need to come around to the idea that yes Derek Carr has had some bad performances and some bad moments but Derek Carr is the unquestioned leader of that team now and Derek Carr did the job when he absolutely had to yesterday
0: it's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers,
2: 570-9000. Revelle makes with. precision Still fit with. helmets now. They fit for your head specifically. Heads. Yes, for big heads. All right, that's the new thing. You you need some more powder on that forehead. You look like you sprayed Pam all over. Okay, here we go. Now it starts, right?
0: Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. All right, little snippet of uh,
1: Manning Bros on Monday Night Football. Candy said he really liked it. Really liked it. That's a good line about the the Pam on the forehead. Uh, It is, Candy, right now I'm – I'm watching Candy on video. When we do the shows and we're not together, we have a little video set up. Candy, you have a a monster head of hair like you're fro. During the pandemic it was ridiculous. Are you losing anything in the front? Are you are you getting are you getting the channels any disappearance there? Um some of us get to be freak athletes,
2: right? <laughs> yeah. Some of us get to be freak talents. I am told by the woman who cuts my hair that i am a freak for the amount of hair that i still have at my age i've lost nothing yeah i i am a unicorn my hair is luscious Hmm. my hair is giant my hair is thick and i have no trouble bragging about it because it is one of the few physical advantages i got
1: yeah uh, i get the same reaction i wear a hat in this case but when i go get my full body wax uh, she just raves, yeah, about the oh, thickness oh. of the of the, the brush. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, luscious. Also, I believe is the word <laughs> luscious, that, is, uh, that it, is often used. Luscious ain't the word. It's more like, a, what, oh, what is going on? What is happening here? Uh, anyway, um, the the forehead expansion because I'm I've I've got I'm getting the monk deal on the back and there, it may be joining at some point down the road, that the giant forehead thing that Manning's got going on, it is it is devastating. I have to admit that. I feel bad for the guy. But, I, you know, um, both of my brothers are very bald, uh, so I still have enough in the front that I can kind of show off. But it—that that is a funny line, brother-to-brother, brother, talking about <laughs> needing some powder and looking like you sprayed Pam all over your forehead. Uh,
2: Absolutely. And if you saw Peyton trying to put that Ravens helmet on, I mean, really, the jokes just write themselves. Like it, it looked like he was taking a little league hat and trying to put it on Barry Bonds.
3: <laughs>
1: okay, good line, very good line. You should have your own uh, football cast. Uh, if in Gawk, we we know that Denzel Good is down for the year with a torn ACL, which, by the way, is just is awful. And to go back to what Raheem Mostert's wife said yesterday, when you know, idiot fantasy football people are like, you know, your husband should kill himself. He's hurt all the time, and she she like she laid it out there. She's like. This is real life, morons, okay? This is how the guy supports his family. Injuries like this are devastating. That was before we knew that Mostert was out for the year. I just saw a message from uh, Denzel Good a little while ago. He said, I was too upset and frustrated with myself to say anything earlier, uh, but I am uh, so thankful for the support and well wishes from my teammates, coaches, current and former, family, and Raider Nation, of course. Uh, I promise I'll give everything I got to come back stronger than ever. And, yeah, I like to – and I'm sure you like to do it too, like to remind people that, you know, these are these are not TV characters that we're watching, you know. This is real life. And for an athlete who have this finite time to suffer an injury like a torn ACL, is just it sucks. I've never had one, but believe me, I was around uh, the SO when she freaking snapped her ankle at the beginning of the year, and that was horrific watching her come back from a, you know, basically – I don't know what it turned out to be like a three or four month injury and believe me, she's not you know, she didn't go back into the NFL as like a blocking back, you know. She, she's so her recovery's good, but I don't know if she has the explosion, you know, she used to. Well, that's certainly
2: something that sounds like a marital issue that you two yes. will have to work out about what. But well, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Is, like, every, but, yeah, no, everyone, I, the, the has, everyone
1: is- has injuries around their household, and you see just how hard it is coming back from a broken bone that takes you know four, five, six months. Well, if you don't come back 100, percent it takes three years to recover. Well, you're just a regular person. If I mean, your your freaking career's on the line. If this thing, you know, if you, your rehab doesn't go well, you can't recover. Uh, have you know a miraculous recovery in like nine months?
2: Cofield, you probably know the answer to this question, but I bet a lot of our listeners don't. How long is the average NFL
1: career? Mm, What, upper two-point-something years, 3.2 years, years, yeah. Three. The average NFL career is three
2: years. And if you're a guy like Denzel Good, who has had to wait for your opportunity, and this is your chance, right? You were the guy last year who everybody was super excited, was able to jump into spots when he got his opportunity, right? And so you're thinking, finally, I'm a starter. They trusted me. They let Gabe Jackson go. They brought me into the fold as a starter. And game number one, you go down with a blown knee. Ah! Now, it's not just how you come back. We talked about the upside of Jermaine Illuminor coming in and performing well. Well, if he performs that well, you might not have a spot, healthy or not.
0: Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.
1: You have to buy time sometimes, even if they're unblocked. And I've tried to work on that
2: because early in my career, if a play wasn't there, my initial reaction is, well, throw it away. You know, don't get a sack or the games. Just if I can buy time and find guys, you know, uh, and still be able to keep my arm in it. And that's something Coach Gruden has pushed me and Oli has pushed me at getting better at.
0: Now... Back to Colefield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Derek Carr, after the big win last
1: night, he had an awesome second half and great overtime as well, and maybe this is the year it all comes together. The numbers are there, the wins are there, the defense is there. Let's talk more football with a former Raider and a guy who uh, really exploded in his time in Carolina, former quarterback in the National Football League. Steve Berline is up with Colefield and Company here in Vegas. Steve, how are you?
3: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're
1: good. We're real good. Let's talk about Derek Carr and what we saw last night. Uh, you know, not great in the first half, picked it up in the second half. As a guy who played the game and, you know, you play in front of crowds, could you actually chalk part of the first half up to, hey, it you know, first game with the crowd there, hype I mean, That was a very uh, energetic environment that Carr was walking into.
3: Well, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but uh, the thing you have to keep in mind is I think there's really two key points about, that particular game last night. Uh, first off, the Ravens are a really good football team. I mean, they're they're defensively, they're going to cause problems for most everybody they play like they always do. Uh, so it's a very good defense. Uh, second point is that game one, it is not unusual for offenses to come out and struggle a little bit uh, because defenses have been game-planning for them the whole offseason. And you really don't know. Or they're going to try to, you know, break their tendencies or try to show you a bunch of stuff that you haven't seen before. And uh, as an offense, if you if you don't know how to react and identify that stuff, it can cause some problems a little bit early. And I think in both those situations, the Raiders uh, handled it very well. You know, they the Ravens are a very very physical football team. The Raiders matched that physicality as the game went along, and and the adjustments the Raiders made all the way to the last play of the game. I mean, you you, you saw how prepared the Raiders were uh, as that game got down to the, the, the real vital moments of the second half when they had to have plays made. They knew where their matchups were with Waller. Uh, they also knew that Edwards, in those situations late in the game, was going to have some opportunities to make plays, and, and Carr stepped up and made some great throws down the stretch. Um, I was really impressed with their resilience with their toughness and with their overall, uh, performance, uh, to, to come back on in prime time, first game in the history of that stadium, uh, with all the people there going crazy, Raider nation, uh, I thought it was an awesome first win and, uh, against a very good football team.
2: Steve, you mentioned the, the physicality and the resilience. I thought Derek Carr had an interesting quote coming out of that game saying that the way the game has evolved he is more comfortable and more willing to stand in longer and wait to make the throws and that he earlier in his career would get rid of the ball a lot faster and I'm curious your thoughts on that as someone who played the position um that we used to talk about Derek Carr and sometimes i'm not going to use this pejoratively but happy feet or getting rid of the ball too fast and he certainly does not do that anymore
3: well and uh well first off Mike my- my comment always about that is: Imagine what these guys would have been like if they were actually getting hit as quarterback. Uh, now, <laughs> now you know in this league, the way they are playing now, they can't get hit high, they can't get hit low, they can't have anybody land on them, they can't touch their head. You know, it's a, it's a different ball game, um, but it still is. It still, I mean, I'm not. I say that totally tongue in cheek because a lot of times it's, it's not um, you know recognized or. Respected that the the game has changed so much from that perspective, but in a good way because it's talking about player safety and trying to keep guys on the field. So, uh, but but I have seen improvement from from uh, from Carr over the years. I mean, he, he definitely uh, had a quick twitch uh, when when he felt pressure coming. Now he's always been, per, you know, he's so accurate in general uh, that he was usually able to find a a receiver to get the ball to, uh, you know, one of the quick throws somewhere. Uh, But as you stated, a lot of times when there's pressure coming, especially in a blitz situation, uh, the plays that really make differences in ball games are the ones where you need to hold on that ball for a split second longer and let something develop up the field and make the throw while taking a hit. And that is something that I'm not going to say you can't coach it, but if the quarterback doesn't have that natural instinct to just stand in there and take it and stare through the oncoming pressure, uh, a lot of times they don't ever develop that, that, that quality. Uh, I think you know Derek has done a great job of, of evolving from that perspective. And I do think he, he is a lot tougher now from that perspective. I'm not saying he wasn't tough. I'm saying he, he stands in there a lot more patiently and a lot more confidently than he used to. And that's a, that's a great thing. You, you, you saw the benefit of that yesterday with some of those big plays late in the game.
2: Former NFL quarterback, former Raider in Carolina, Panthers, Steve Berline, joining us here on Cofield and Company. On the other side of the field, um, a little bit uneven from Lamar Jackson, and we saw some of the brilliance in his ability to run the ball, uh, some good passes, some bad passes, but the ball security seemed to be uh, an issue both of those fumbles appeared to be ones where Lamar did not have it tucked away uh, how does a quarterback work on that with ball security
3: well he, he, Lamar is not a typical quarterback so qu- quarterbacks don't generally have to worry about those issues because uh, quarterbacks can't can't create plays with their feet like Lamar Jackson can um, you know there, there's nobody that affects uh, a football game. Um, more significantly than Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, because uh, every single time, every single play, he's got the ball in his hands, and he's talented enough throwing the ball down the field uh, from the pocket, uh, and he's also incredibly talented. Obviously, running the football, he can. If you make a mistake, it will cost you a touchdown, and and that's just that's a that's a, a, a reality that every defense that plays against him has to recognize. Now, last night I think there was even more pressure on him because of the situation with the running backs for the Ravens. They asked him to do uh, even more than normally is asked of him, and he had to make plays all night long uh, to keep that team in the game. And um, you know he was disappointed in himself. Uh, I, I know with the fumbles, um, you know, real live game action. A lot of times it takes uh, a game or two to get uh, you know to get your body uh, adjusted. Uh, to, 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 to the way it needs to be at that level um, you know but I, I think Lamar needs to be careful though if he continues to run the way that he's running uh, and taking the hits that he's taken instead of getting down and, and you know preserving the hit maybe you, you give up a couple of yards at the end of the run but you don't take the hit I think that would bode much better for him in the late part of the season going into the playoffs because there's no doubt last year he was beat up going into the playoffs and Uh, It's because of the number of hits he takes over the course of the season. Uh, I think they have to have that conversation with him. Hey, we love you running with the football, but two more yards after you've already made 20 is not worth taking that kind of a hit. And he has to learn that because uh, he also is not a running back, and he's not going to be able to hang on to the ball against those violent hits as well as a running back does.
1: Back to the Raiders' side, you know, it wasn't all great, especially because of the injury news. Today we find out that Denzel Good. Uh, right guard is down for the season with a, a torn ACL. I wanted to talk center and Andre James did not have a great game and had at least one errant snap. I and mean, when you play the position, what's it like for car? What's it like for a quarterback? Were you ever in a situation like this where you're like, okay, we're breaking into a new guy. It's a little uneasy right now.
3: Yeah. I mean, it happens. Uh, every quarterback that's played at the, at the higher levels has been through that yeah. and uh, it's, it's, it's an adjustment and you know, it's, it, but it's something that you can't think about, you can't worry about it, because um, in football, uh, if you if you're worrying about uh, someone else getting their job done, it's going to prevent you from getting your job done. Uh, that's what football. That's one of the most beautiful parts about football, and you know defenses talk about it all the time. But it really holds true both sides of the ball. If you just do your job and trust that the rest of your teammates are going to do their job. Uh, that is what it takes to become great on either side of the ball. Uh, when you do have a backup center in there, is it a factor? Is it an issue? Yes. But Derek Carr cannot worry about that, even though there are going to be unfortunate things that happen, even though maybe you're not going to be a stout up the middle. Uh, but you can't let that affect you. Know, the play calling may be affected by that a little bit as far as what, what a, uh, a play caller is going to call in terms of, a matchup with a, a guy up front versus a, a dominant defensive player. But from a quarterback's perspective and anybody else on the field, you can't worry about someone else doing their job and whether or not they're going to get it done.
1: The Voice is Steve Berline on Cofield & Company. I wanted to talk about managing emotions week to week. I know you cover college football. I cover a lot of college football. And, you know, college, it's uneven, man. Week to week, you don't know how the kids are going to react how much of a factor is it in the National Football League? Because we've got a really interesting situation coming up here. you got the Raiders, you know, fired up, big win, national TV, you know, pulling off the upset. Well, the Steelers did the same thing. So I wonder where both teams are going to be in terms of focus for game number two.
3: Well, that's the thing. I guarantee you that was a very early part <laughs> of John Gruden's speech after that game last night was, Hey, let's celebrate. Let's enjoy this one. What a great start! But there's a pretty good football team that we're going to see next week down in Pittsburgh. They feel like they've got a, gotten themselves off to a great start and in great position. We'd hate to, you know, take a step back after making that step forward. Uh, you know, in that game, in the first game. So, uh, you know, professionals are professionals. If they can't find a way to keep themselves focused and motivated, uh, believe me, and you guys know this. They won't be in the lineup very long. If they can't consistently get themselves ready to play and produce at the highest level needed to win and be effective at the NFL level, they'll find somebody else because they, they can't have uh, inconsistent liabilities out there uh, from week to week.
1: Question along the same lines, uh, if I'm correct, you uh, called the Iowa State game last week, right? The Iowa State game?
3: Yeah. Yeah, You got it. I
1: wonder on the collegiate level, you know, Iowa State had some lofty expectations and goals and, you know, we often like to, we talk in the gambling world about the kind of the dream crusher, uh, you know, of losing a game like that and, you know, essentially being told, hey, you're now you're out of the mix for the CFP. How do you think Iowa State is going to bounce back and what did you see with Iowa State in terms of some issues that led to that loss? Well,
3: I didn't see much from Iowa State at all. <laughs> I thought okay. they, they played absolutely terribly wow. and, and, uh I was really disappointed. I, I, I had high hopes. Uh, this is a game that has been a long time coming for that program, and Matt Campbell, their head coach, uh, I really think highly of him. Um, you know, uh, Brock Purdy, the the starting quarterback, has done nothing but, um, you know, amazed on a regular basis as this program has been built uh, with him at quarterback. Uh, I, I really was excited to see all this stuff close. Uh, but, you know what, when I thought about it as the game went along, as Iowa took control, uh, it, and I said it several times toward the end of the game, I was like, you know, this is a classic example of, of a team that is not used to being in the spotlight and not used to dealing with mm-hmm. the big game, with the expectations, and with all that energy and that hype. You know, Purdy had arguably the worst game of his career. Uh, he, he did nothing to impact that game positively. Uh, Iowa just absolutely mauled them, uh, especially defensively. Uh, they, there was no doubt who was the more physical, more confident, uh, more comfortable team on that field. And as the game went along, it became more and more obvious. So I, you got to credit for, uh, Ferenc, uh and his staff uh, and everybody that played in that ball ballgame. I don't even remember a lot of the players' names on Iowa, but they played as a unit. They played with confidence. And physicality, and they dominated that football game. And I was surprised I, I would have put I would have put money on Iowa State with four and a half, you know, giving four and a half points going into that game. But uh, man, I would have looked silly doing that the way it turned out.
1: Uh, you played at a big time school in, in Notre Dame, and you know, it's clearly for some programs, it is a lot different being the hunted.
3: No doubt about it. And uh, you know, Notre Dame, I think, uh, has got a lot of concerns as well. They're yeah. fortunate to be. 2-0 at this point. Um, you know, a nail-biter against Florida State. Everybody was all excited about it. Uh, but then Florida State gets beaten by Jacksonville State this past week. Uh, so that, that win is not as impressive. And then Notre Dame, by all rights, should have lost uh, to Tulsa uh, or Toledo. Yep. It was Toledo, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, even worse, I mean, the the way that you can come out there and, and, and play at home, um, you know, in, in, in a game – uh, that you should take control of from start to finish. Uh, there's really no excuse for that, and I know that Brian Kelly and that staff have got to be concerned. I think Jack Cone uh, really is showed in, in week two that he's not going to be a superstar quarterback uh, the, the way that everybody thought maybe he was going to be coming out of that Florida State game. He's not a guy that's going to be able to throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns every week. He's a game manager. He's accurate, uh, and if you provide him with a good supporting cast, he'll be efficient. But he's not going to be able to carry a team on his shoulders and put up those kind of numbers week after week, as you showed this past week. Steve, that was a
1: great convo. We appreciate it. Thank you so much.
3: You got it, guys. Anytime. Take care.
1: There he is, Steve Berline. Started his career with the Raiders. You know, long path. To becoming a 16-game starter, had a year in Carolina where he had 36 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, so a guy who excelled in his 30s. Speaking of the Iowa State UNLV game, Candy, I'll give you an update on what's going on with Doug Brumfield. I mean, a very, very, very big factor. What's going on with the starting uh, starting quarterback for the Rebels?
0: The show never ends. Watch the Cofield & Company late-night pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter.
1: Close it out in the grab bag. All right, Candy. I'll give you some names. James Franklin, Matt Campbell, Bill O'Brien. Oh, no. Uh, Luke Fickle, PJ Fleck. Yeah. Uh, Mario Cristobal, Greg Schiano. No. Uh, Tony Elliott, Chris Peterson, Bob Stoops. All some of the early names being mentioned around the Southern Cal job. Thoughts? Chris Peterson would be a great hire.
2: He's been pretty consistent everywhere he's gone. Um, if you're Mario Cristobal... I don't know why you'd leave Oregon for USC. uh, That's the name that jumps out at me as the one that shouldn't be on that list for that reason. Uh, Why you would bring in Bill O'Brien, I I don't really get that either.
1: Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, Rhino, 44D, Derek, one of our P1s, talking about the PFF grades. He was asking, how concerned should we be with rookie grades week one on Monday Night Football against a playoff-rated team? What do you think?
2: Well, certainly loading up the question with that one, huh? Uh, Rookie, Monday night. I mean, I don't remember excuses being any part of the uh, PFF grades. Should we be concerned and freaking out? No. Should we be looking at it as the offensive line in particular is a weak link system? And if Alex Leatherwood is in trouble, that they're
1: going to have trouble covering for him? Yeah. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Fans worked up on this one. Josh DuBow, Raiders have lost six straight road games following Monday Night Football. Last win came in 2009. Immediately, everyone's like, why are you so negative? Josh, you and your malicious facts, bruh.